sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Morning, everyone. My name is Benjamin. If I haven't met you yet, I'm glad to have you here. You can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, 27 to 30. And if you don't own a Bible, and if you've come here more than once, you know that we want you to take a Bible, and so take the one in the seat in front of you as our gift to you. Also in your bulletins, there is uh, some areas for you to take notes, fill in the blanks as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. And here's a disclaimer, if you have uh, young ones here who are up here today, we're going to be talking about some serious stuff, nothing they won't hear about in, if they go to primary school, uh, a primarily secu- a public school. Um, but I just want to give you the chance that if you don't want them to uh, hear the things that we're going to discuss, uh, cultural things, you can probably guess, then now's the time uh, to take them down and you can still have them uh, registered in the class today. Because we are going to be talking about temptation and how temptation becomes sin. And so there's still some spaces downstairs. Uh, No one will look at you awkwardly, but I will keep it. um, I will keep it clean, uh, but but I'll be honest. So there's your disclaimer. So let's pray. Well, God, we thank you so much for the rain, as so much of the world uh, is in the grip of heat waves and crops dying. We have the rain. And we have the crops growing in the fields, and we're so thankful that we live in this country, which is so blessed and so abundant. Help us not to take it for granted and to remember the simple things that come from you, the great creator and the great sustainer, and the one who's given us uh, the way to live. You're not just the provider, but you tell us uh, the way you desire us to live in this world. And it's different from much of what the culture says, But we want to be people who don't just uh, pick and choose what we want to do and what we don't want to do. We want to be people who genuinely follow after you, uh, who don't just look good on the outside but are clean on the inside. And we can only do that through your power. And so I pray that as we talk about uh, temptation and sin, that no one would think they are uh, less less or more sinful than anyone else. We're all people who struggle. We are all uh, people who sin, and we all need your grace and your salvation and your sanctification in our hearts. So help us, Lord, and help me, a simple man, to talk about this. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we looked at verses 17 to 20, uh, where Jesus clearly stated um, that he did not come to take away from or add to the Old Testament, Uh, that as a follower of Jesus, uh, you were someone who desires to live out uh, what they say they believe, not just be a person who says they believe in a bunch of things but doesn't actually follow them through and live them out. And in the rest of this chapter, chapter 5, Jesus is going to make six consecutive statements uh, that are all building upon uh, verse 20. 
Uh, remember, this is a sermon that, that he's not just spitting out words randomly like sometimes we do. He is building upon a message, the message for those who would follow him, that each person... Uh, God determines and desires to change their heart, uh, desires to change their character, desires to change their attitude from that of a religious person into a transformed Christ follower. And he's going to relate it to the Old Testament laws. Religious people, as we talked about, are somebody, are people who often clean up the outside through clothing and through different traditions so that they'll look good on the inside, or, or so they'll look good on the outside to impress people or to impress God. That's what their, their thought is. Oh, if I look good on the outside, God will be impressed with me and other people will think I am great and righteous. But a Christian is somebody who allows God to clean them up on the inside and then, in turn, God is pleased and people are blessed. As God cleans us up, the world is blessed. And I don't know about you, but sometimes as a parent, I realize that I sometimes focus too much on the outside of what my children look like, right? That they'll speak a certain way and dress a certain way and, and talk a certain way when I don't really focus on what matters, the heart of my child. You ever struggle with that as a parent? You want them to look good. And if we're honest, it's usually because we want other people to be impressed by how good of parents we are, right? And, and the problem is with that sort of parenting is we can, we can tell a child to speak a certain way and dress them up nice on Sundays and, and, and clean up their language, but unless God transforms their heart, when they get out into the world and are tempted by the world, they'll just cave in. I remember uh, I've talked to many kids who were, grew up in homeschools um, in very protected environments and nothing against homeschooling. But sometimes it can be so protective and so artificial of an environment, and we want to protect our children, uh, but so artificial that they're not able to cope with the world. And so this person talked to me about how they went out into the world after they had, had grown up, and they're like, wow, all of these temptations, and they just overwhelmed them, right? Because Jesus hadn't transformed their heart. And that's exactly what he wants us to do. As he says to the Pharisees uh, later on, he says, blind Pharisees, first clean up the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside may become clean as well. And he's talking about their hearts. So we're going to skip ahead six verses. This, this isn't going to be too confusing, I hope. We're going to skip ahead six verses because I've really wanted to preach this message for a while, and, and I have family stuff that I need to attend to next Sunday, and so Pastor Dustin is going to be preaching through verses 21 to 26 uh, and talking about uh, the sanctity of life, and, but I'm going to preach to you from verses 27 to 30, and, and it's just following Jesus' uh, six comprehensive statements and so it isn't going to be too confusing. So let's read it together. Verse 27, chapter 5. You have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better you lose one of your parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your parts of your body than your whole body go into hell. 
What Jesus is addressing here involves every single one of us in this room. There is no one that will not be affected by and is not affected by what Jesus is talking about here. It stems from uh, out of the issues that plague the world, the issues that, that uh, corrupt our lives and damage our lives and, and destroy the lives of people around you. Now, we're talking about temptation and how a temptation leads a person to sin and out of sin comes destructive. How does it go from a temptation into a sin? That is what we're going to be talking about today. My first point is this, and we need to hear this as Christians, especially if you've grown up in the church, that temptation in and of itself is not a sin. I need you to get that. You will be tempted, but temptation in and of itself is not a sin. Every one of you is tempted in many ways. And if you think you're not well, you're, you're a liar, and you don't even know it. How do I know that? Well, a few reasons. One, because the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. And so if all have sinned, then all must have been tempted in order to sin. And number two is because Jesus was tempted. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but we have one who has been at all points tempted like us, yet without sin. In every way, a shape, or form that a person can be tempted, Jesus was tempted, and yet was without sin, and therefore temptation can't be a sin. Matthew 4, verse 1 says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Temptation is going to affect us all. And I think it's a misunderstanding in some Christian circles uh, that, that this notion that if you follow Jesus, you won't be tempted. Well, that's just false, and it's not biblical, and it sets a person up to really fail. No, it's like, it's the mindset that we need to understand is that in the midst of the temptation is the war that a Christian is fighting. Uh, imagine I told a soldier, I, I'm sending you over to this country, but you're not going to run into the enemy. So don't worry about it and don't bother thinking about it and training about it and preparing your lives for it. You would say that's foolish because when they meet the enemy, they're not going to know how to react. And so many Christians are raised in the church and just so don't worry about that, don't worry about it, don't talk about it. And then they meet the temptations of the world and they're like, pool, defeated by it. But that's not what Jesus says and that's not how we should be prepared. You will be tempted. But it's in that temptation where you determine, with God's help, whether you're going to cross over into sin. And so... There's a sequence of three steps that we see in the Bible. It's in your bulletin if you want to write it down, fill in the blanks. Uh, step one is that you will be tempted. Okay, that we're tempted, that's it. You're tempted. It's going to come along. It may be happening right now. You're tempted to think something, feel something. You hear something. It might happen out on the street. It's coming. That's step one. So you better get ready because there's no avoiding it unless you're going to go live in a cave somewhere and not talk to anyone for the rest of your life. But even that, you're going to have the temptations in your mind. This is not a sin. This is simply temptation. You know, I've heard it, and it's a good illustration, that when you go fishing, right, 
what are you trying to do? You're, you're trying, when you put the worm on the hook, is to catch the fish, right, with some bait. And temptation is like bait, right? The worm isn't the thing that the, the fish has to worry about. It's the hook behind the worm, right? And so as the fish goes by, and you can sit in the lake, I don't know if you ever have, right, and, and, and have your, your worm on the hook, and it'd be down there for a couple hours, and you maybe got a fish finder, and you're like, dumb fish? They're going right by. They're not biting, right? Because the fish see the worm, but they're like, no, 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 no. I'm not falling for that. Maybe a fish even think that much. Maybe they're smarter than us sometimes, right? Uh, but until they hook onto that and start nibbling at it, they're not in danger. They can see it, and they're not in danger until they start to nibble at it and then take a big old bite. Step two is where we entertain the temptation of sin in our hearts and in our minds, remembering that our heart and our mind are not disconnected. It's when we start to entertain it. That's the word if you're... If you're Um, filling in the blanks. Notice Jesus says, uh, when a man looks lustfully, he looks, he sees, hey, you can be a man or a woman and you can see another man or a woman and you can admire the way God made them. A man might admire, that's a beautiful woman. A woman might admire, that's a handsome man. But that's just a look. It's acknowledging what God has put in there. The sin is when, Jesus says, he looks at her lustfully. That is when he crosses the line from the temptation to the sin. And this, if we're real, if we're honest, is where most of us live much of our lives, in our minds, sinning in our minds, carrying out secret fantasies or secret desires that only we really know about and we really struggle about. We lust in our minds. We hate other people in our minds. We covet other things in our minds, other people's lives. Uh, We make up gods for ourselves in our minds. And we don't usually, as Canadians, often take it any further than that. But we're on dangerous ground, and unfortunately, often we do. And we think it's all right in our minds. We justify it. Ah, it's just in our minds. I'll just entertain this, this secret thing. But the reality is, is that if a lot of the restraints, because we don't do it often because we're afraid we'll get caught and reap the, the, the punishment of that, or we don't want the damage that it will cause the people around us. And if we were honest, if those restraints weren't there, we might be more likely to carry it out, right? Just look at much of the world and and see what it's like in a place where there's no law and order, where there's no grocery stores filling up the, I mean, trucks filling up the grocery stores every day, where there isn't a a level of prosperity. There's a a thin veil of civility that usually uh, is protecting a culture like ours. Take those things away and you'll see a lot of people act out those things, those sins that they're thinking about in their minds. And if you haven't, I suggest you go travel some of the world. And that's why much of the world is living, is a living hell, unfortunately. So Jesus is saying, hey, 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 as the Pharisees thought, oh, it's only step number three. It's only when you actually do it. That's the thing. No, no, Jesus is saying, it's actually your minds and your hearts. That's when you cross the line. That's where I want the sin to stop. That's where I want you to put away that temptation. You have heard it said, Jesus said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, 
Whoever looks upon a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart. Step one, we're tempted. Step two, we entertain it in our minds. Step three, we carry it out. Uh, Most sins that are committed were first thought about in the minds. Most people who steal something thought about it in their minds first. Uh, Most people who, who commit adultery thought about it in their minds first. Most people who murder someone thought about it in their minds first, and it played around in their minds until they carried it out. James says this, you can follow along, some of these bigger ones are going to be on the overhead. James chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, the same sort of process James lays out. He says, each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is lured away and enticed. Okay, that's step one, right? Each one is tempted. You're going to be tempted by your own little twist, right? But the... the based on your experiences and, and, and the things, you, your weaknesses. But here's where he crosses into two, verse 15. Then after the desire is conceived, okay, it's like he's, he's using baby language, right? It's been conceived. It's not just there and it left. It's conceived. It's now growing in your mind. It gives birth to sin and, and sin. That's step two. And now we go into step three. When it is full grown, it gives birth to death. Do you see the warning from James, the process? First you're enticed and tempted away. Uh, Then it's conceived in your mind and you're thinking about it and it's growing. And then you act it out. Gives birth to death. Not just spiritual death he's talking about, but relational death, financial death. Your health is ruined. I don't know how many people I've talked to that got involved in in things uh, and they've destroyed and damaged their bodies and they're paying the long-term consequences of sins that they got involved with. It leads to destruction in our lives. And there's another thing that James says is when each one is uh, by his own desires is lured away, is tempted and lured away. And that's something we need to understand. Uh, Everybody else, or each of us, are tempted in our own unique little ways. Your own little twists that only you really know about, that other people won't even really understand. And, And that's what I've noticed about humans as I think about myself and I think about other people, is we often, we often downplay our own temptations, right? Oh, it's not really a big deal. I've got it on their hand. It's, I don't see why, what she's so upset about. I don't see why he's so upset. We downplay our own stuff, and that's sort of like self-preservation so we can keep it, but we raise up the sins of others, the temptations of others, right? Like, oh, I can't believe they're tempted with that. I would never be tempted with that, but mine is, my, mine's not that big of a deal, right? That's what we tend to do as humans. I, uh, sometimes, you know, here's an example. A, a spouse will be tempted to watch pornography, right? That's their temptations. That's what they really struggle with, and that's where a lot of men would struggle with, and some women do struggle with nowadays. Uh, but on the other hand, the spouse is, is tempted to slander, they're, they got a mouth on them, and they're always knocking people down. And, oh, it's just, I'm just, I love them, but bam, bam, bam. You see what she's dressing? Oh, you see what's going on in his life? My husband's useless. He is just such a failure, right? They slander. So, so, so the one makes a big deal of the other, but uh, my slander, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. But what does God say? Both immorality, sexual immorality, and slander, they're both condemned by God. And so we can't get caught in that trap 
or we become self-righteous. If you're someone who judges other people's temptations or sins very easily but justifies your own, you're on dangerous ground of becoming a self-righteous hypocrite, which Jesus had something to say about. And so there's three primary ways you're going to be tempted, three primary ways uh, that you, and you need to identify your own, um, will be tempted by what you see, by what you hear, and by what you feel. See, hear, and feel. The first temptation we'll talk about is what you see. And we've got case studies for each of them in the Bible. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 to 4. Now, this is King David. He's sort of at the prime, the height of his success. He's subdued most of the enemies. There is, uh, it's a rich society, and usually he goes out to lead the, the army. Uh, but this time he's decided for the summer he's going to stay back and he's going to let his generals lead the army. He's just going to chill and have some time off. And we pick up, it says, but David stayed in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of his palace. And while he was on the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And she was very beautiful. Okay, he saw it. He was there. He was walking around the roof. And there she was. Couldn't avoid it. It just happened. He still hasn't crossed the line. And so, now verse 3 so he sends a servant to find out who she was. And even this, you know, we might say, whoa, this is like forward. But this is, this is uh, the culture back then. This is Middle Eastern culture. They didn't, they didn't date for two years before they got married. This was the culture of the time. They saw somebody they wanted. They went and inquired if they were married. And if not, then they engaged in the, the negotiation, you could say, for the marriage. But he is crossing the line now. A servant answered, that woman is Bathsheba, daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to bring Bathsheba to him. And she came to him, and he had sexual relations with her. He raped her. That's really what happened, because she wouldn't have been able to really fight and refuse the king. And so David, the once mighty man who sought after God's own heart, allowed temptation to uh, create uh, an image in his mind, and he lusted after her, and he, he determined in his mind that it was okay because he was the king, and look at all he's done for God. And, and so God would surely be all right if I just indulged in this little thing. And he commits adultery, rapes a woman, and that leads to murder later on. He saw, he lusted, and he committed. And many of us are tempted by what we see, by the things we see. You might be tempted by somebody else's spouse. And, and don't, just think, don't just think physically speaking, but think emotionally speaking. Think intellectually speaking. Men tend to, to, to be uh, lust after women for their physical looks. We can be honest about that. But women, what I've noticed is they tend to more lust after a man off his emotional or his intellectual part of him, right? Maybe their husband doesn't, doesn't meet their emotional needs and so they start to look at somebody else's husband, oh, look at the way that man does. It's the same thing, just a different name upon it. Somebody may be lusting after somebody else's daughter by what they watch on TV. That's somebody else's daughter. If not, that's God's daughter. 
people can be tempted to lust after somebody of the same sex. That may be some people in here. You may struggle with same-sex attraction. Again, we in our culture, in our Western culture, put that, especially in the church, above lusting after somebody else's wife. We're like, oh, that's, that's just a temptation that's, that's more evil than this. But it's not. It's a temptation. It's tempting to, you're tempted to feel something and go after something that God says is off limits. Somebody else's spouse, off limits. A person of the same sex, off limits. And so what we need to get out of as Christians is looking at people who struggle with same-sex attraction as the enemy because they're not. They're just a person struggling with a temptation that you yourself don't have. But it is very real, and we've seen it all through history, and we now see it aggressively coming out in our culture. And so the answer is not to push them away. The answer for them is Christ transforming their hearts. The same answer it is for the man or the woman that struggles with lust for someone of the opposite sex. I had a very real experience with somebody who struggled with this when I was in the army. I had known the person for three years, and I had gone through much training with them. They were a very close friend in our young dysfunctional days. We would go out and and do our dysfunctional things together. And when we were overseas coming back, we were on what's called decompression leave. And, I, and I, he had shared with me uh, before some of the things that were done to him as a child, evil, wicked, horrible things, where other people gave into things that they shouldn't have. And because of that, he shared with me that he struggled with same-sex attraction and that he was attracted to me. And so there I was, he and I, sharing a room together, and he came on to me. And that was like, I didn't expect that at all because he was very much a ladies' man. But it was a struggle and a temptation. And so I resisted, but I never treated him any different because I knew in, that, in the infantry culture he would, be, he would be literally torn apart. And so if somebody shares that with you, you don't push them away. You embrace them and help them walk through the struggles of overcoming those temptations, because Christ is the answer for that. There are some people who struggle with feelings towards children, and it's real. There are some people who do, and if you think, oh, that's not real, simply go to the Middle East, go to Africa, go to parts of Asia where people marry children. They're just carrying out the temptations in their mind that are wrong, that God clearly states are wrong. UNICEF estimates that there are over 100 million child brides at any time in the world. National Geographic says on average 14 million children are married into marriage with somebody who's an adult. So don't think that this is something that Westerners aren't struggling with. And it's something, again, that needs to be addressed. That's why we have such strict protections downstairs. Anyone who wants to work with children, we have to know them for a certain amount of time. They have to go through background checks. There was no, at no time any one adult left alone with children because we know people are going to be tempted and we don't want to give any room for those temptations to be acted out. There are even people who struggle with feelings towards animals. And I've seen it firsthand with night vision overseas. 
That's why the Bible addresses it in Leviticus 18, 23, Leviticus 20, and Exodus 18. God wouldn't say, don't do these things if it wasn't a real temptation for people to do. We have to understand the world we live in. It's a broken, fallen world. And unless we're willing to say, hey, these things are out there, people are just going to continue to play them out in their minds and act them out in secret. God says there is a good and natural place to lust. That's in a marriage, in a committed marriage between a man and a woman. God says if you lust, if you burn with fire, go get married. That's his remedy. Lust after your wife physically, emotionally, intellectually. She's yours. And if anyone doubts that and you, you think it's like Mennonite days where you put a wooden block up between two married couples to keep them from desiring anybody, just read the Song of Solomon. Like it's a, it's a very graphic uh, image of a husband's uh, love, a husband and wife's love for each other. And so God says there's a way to carry out these things that is good, and there is a way to carry these, out these feelings that is wrong. And we need to be embracing that which is good and fighting against that is, which is wrong. Because you will be tempted. You will be tempted. And so I want you to understand, if there's anyone in here who's dealing with any of those, which probably you are in one of those ways, don't try and go it alone. Don't think that you are beyond redemption or that you're just in the special place in hell for you. You need to be honest that you're struggling with these things so that you can get help with Christ, so that we can walk through these things with you. So we're tempted by what we see. We're also tempted by how we feel, or by what we feel, we could say. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is with Joseph and Mary. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. It's on the overhead. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged in marriage to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and was unwilling to disgrace her publicly, he resolved to divorce her quickly. But after he had pondered these things a while, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Let's just understand first century Middle Eastern culture. If a woman was impregnated, okay, who is engaged to be married, or wasn't engaged to be married. She was outside of wedlock. She could be killed for that, especially if she was engaged. It was a dishonor to that man that his wife, not only uh, to the woman, not only to the man he was supposed to marry or was she was married to, but also to the father. It would bring great shame, and it still does in Middle Eastern cultures. That's why you see child killings um, honor killings, they call them. And, and by the laws of Israel, he had all the right, imagine it, they're engaged, she comes and says, I'm pregnant. Well, there's only a few explanations. Either she had it forced upon her or she gave into it. And so there she is, a 14, 15, 16-year-old girl, somewhere around that. She comes to Joseph, and he's probably building their house because there was usually a year-long engagement. He'd be building her house. And, and, and she says, I'm pregnant. Oh, man, this is going to bring great shame to his name. It's going to be a great embarrassment to him. Prospects of future wives are probably going to be out the door. His parents are going to be shamed. Her parents are going to be shamed. So much pressure to do that which is wrong based on how he's feeling. 
And what does he do? He resolves to divorce her quietly. He pondered these things and said, he, de- he decided, you know what, I'm going to take whatever shame may come, but I am not going to take it out on this woman. I am not going to disgrace this woman. I'm not going to drag her in front of the Pharisees as the Pharisees will later do to Jesus and, and stone this woman to death. I am going to show her mercy. And that is why she or he was a man after God's own heart. Some of you are tempted by what you feel. And you live your life based off how you feel. Your emotions rule, not God's word and not God's spirit. Some of you feel like God owes you, like you're justified in why you do what you do and and live in disobedience because God hasn't lived up to his part of the agreement. I expected these things of God, but God hasn't followed through, so I don't feel like following him. Some people will feel, and this is a big thing in our culture, like they are um, the opposite sex. Like they were born in, if they were a man, they were born into the wrong body. If they were a woman, they were born into the wrong body. They will feel it. This great temptation that there is something wrong with the way that they were created. This is what many youth are being told in very young ages now in our schools. It is being pushed by the government, pushed by the secular school system, that if you feel this, it's probably true. But it goes against what God says. Psalm 139, verses 14, 13 to 14. For you formed my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. See, the message of God is this, that God created you, male or female, uh, tall or short, Big boned or skinny, he created you well. He knitted you together. And therefore, it's wrong to say that the way God made you is wrong. And that you need to be something else because you feel it. It's it's saying that God is not good at what he did, making you male or female. And there is a huge temptation because you feel this and you feel the pressure that I'm not right the way God has made me. That's the temptation to say that God must be wrong, and so therefore I must take matters into my own hands. Some of you are tempted to to feel like you deserve a better spouse. Ugh, my spouse, they're always letting me down. They're not, I thought such good things of them when we got married, but this way and that way they just, I deserve more. I deserve this little secret life late at night when everyone's asleep. I deserve to have this little thing on the side. I deserve to treat her like dirt or him like dirt. I deserve it because I don't feel like they've stacked up to their part of the marriage. I have a friend, we were traveling, uh, him and I were going hunting. Uh, he's a mortgage broker. And so he's, we were just talking because we had this long drive up north last year. And, and I was asking a question about his job. He's like, this, this weird thing's been happening the last couple of years. He says, it used to be that I'd get, like when a, when a marriage would break up, they'd have to refinance the house. He says, it used to be I'd get uh, this, these uh, divorce settlements where I needed to renegotiate the mortgage. And it was the man who cheated on the woman. But he says, more and more I'm seeing it's the, the woman leaving the man because, and, and when it sit down with them, 
they would spill their guts like individually. And he says, more and more, I'm, it's just the excuse of he bores me. He doesn't excite me anymore. And so I'm leaving him for a more exciting man. It's like, it's like men and women are reversing their roles and, and women are more and more going after men. But we do it in both. We, we justify. Some of us feel tempted not to forgive other people because of what they've done. We know Jesus has forgiven us of so much, and, and, yet, and we, we, we know other people have forgiven us, but we're justified because, oh, that temptation. Oh, they've hurt me so much. I just can't forgive them. Or I'm going to make them pay for the next 10 years before I forgive them. Right? We're all tempted, but we can't let our feelings rule us. Third way is we're tempted by what we hear by what we hear, by what other people are saying to us. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Now the serpent, this goes right back to the start, was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord had, God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman answered the serpent, we did, we may eat from the tree of the, or the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it, or you will surely die. You will not surely die, the serpent told her, for God knows that the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Okay, notice at this point, she hasn't thought about the tree. She hasn't, it doesn't say she was staring at the tree and gazing upon its fruit and just, just oh, I so want it. And, and God said, I can't have it, and so I must have it. She's tempted by what she hears. Somebody else is speaking into her life against what God has said is true. And so now she is being tempted for the first time, it seems, with the tree. For then it says, watch how she passes quickly from step one into step two and three. When the woman saw, after hearing, that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, and that it was desirable for attaining knowledge, she took the fruit and ate it. And also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. We are very tempted by culture. And culture is speaking probably louder than any other time in history with, with so many voices speaking into our lives and our children's lives. And there, are, there is a big voice saying that it's, it's all right to marry somebody of the same sex. That's just old thinking, and it's in the church now too. It's okay uh, because you feel it. Um, we say it's good, whether it be in the school system, whether it be the government or whoever, the scientists, because it feels good and because we say it, it's right. And some of you would be tempted to agree with that statement. Some people are tempted, and this is big, to just live together and sleep together. That's a huge temptation in our culture. It's all right. We, we know that God said, you know, he made marriage and he designed it. And, it's, and this thing uh, called intimacy is, is for marriage only, for a man and a woman in a committed relationship to God. But it's okay. You can just shack up. You can just test drive for a while and that's fine. Right? It's a huge voice saying that that is okay. But God speaks clearly that it's not. You may be tempted to make up gods in your own mind. 
Because culture is saying God has changed with the time, right? There are so many things that are being spoken into our, into our heads, and we have to filter it with the Word of God to know what is true and what is not true. You will be tempted to lust, to steal, to lie, to hate, and there will be voices telling you it is okay to do these things. But there's only really one way we can overcome temptation, and that is to do whatever is necessary. Jesus makes this statement. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it out from you. For it is more profitable that, that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it out. For it is more profitable for that you, for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. Now, this would have shocked the people, right? This was meant to shock and awe the disciples. Whoa, he's not kidding around. This guy's serious about sin. This guy doesn't want it messing around in our kingdom, right? He wants our reaction, as the reaction on his face, our reaction to be that when we are tempted to sin. Oh, no, not doing that, not going down that road. And we have to understand that in the culture, in that culture, if you were a thief, you would lose your arm. If you were a liar, you could lose your tongue. If you were caught stealing, uh, you could, or sorry, if you were caught committing adultery, you could be stoned to death. They took sin in that culture so much more seriously than we do. And yet Jesus is saying, hey, if you don't deal with this yourself, whatever is necessary, the world is going to deal with it in you. And how many people, how many times have we got caught up in the lie that, oh, there isn't, there isn't going to be any repercussions from this, and yet it so destroys our lives and causes such great hardship. So look at this last case study. Here's a man who does whatever is necessary. Genesis chapter 39, verses 6 to 12. So Joseph has been sold into slavery. He's a slave. Uh, for Potiphar, an Egyptian, um, captain of the guard. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. And he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one is greater in the house than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil and how could I sin against God? Although she, she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. Oh, so much temptation for Joseph. Wouldn't there be, can you just picture yourself? I've tried to picture myself in this situation. The temptation, the pressure of this man. The, the temptation of lust. The man's never been with the woman, right? The temptation for power. He's a slave. He can get more power and privileges. The temptation for self-preservation. If he ticks off this woman, it may be his life. There is so much temptation for this young man, but he gets drastic, doesn't he? He gets serious. He flees from it. He runs out. Imagine her. She's got him. She's carried on to him. She's latched on him, and he just flees from her. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, flee from evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, love, faith, and peace. Some of you need to smash your cell phones and cut off your internet. That's how drastic you need to get because it has control of you. Some of you need to pull the log out of your own eye and spend a week alone fasting and praying with God to help you overcome your unforgiveness towards people. Some of you may need to quit your jobs because the temptation to sin is just so much in that place you're in. Some of you need to cut up your credit cards and cut up your debit cards because the temptation for financial rule is just so much. Some of you need to erase all your profiles from social media and not be tempted by all the voices that are telling you what to do. Some of you need to stop listening to all the secular voices saying, God is a God that changes with culture and what he said 100 years ago isn't in place now. Some of you, like me, need to tell Satan every day to shut up. Get out of my head. Some of you need to, to every day give your head a shake and say, I'm not going down there. I'm not allowing that into my mind. Some of you need to get very drastic with the temptations that you're allowing to play out in your minds. Some of you need to speak truth As Jesus did, the words of truth. When you feel that temptation, you speak what is true and what is good. Because if you don't, you're going to make decisions based off what you see and what you feel and what you hear, which is not always true, which is not always good. Think of the fishing analogy. I can remember when I went to visit my dad uh, in a little town called Kirkton he lived in. and there was this little pond, and it was obviously somebody's pond because there was a few fish in there. And me and a couple of boys went there, and we just fished the same fish over and over again all day. I caught that same fish, that rainbow fish, like five, six, seven times. Why? Because the dumb fish kept taking the same worm and the same hook, and every time, oh, that was hurt, and I'd pull them out and yank it out. Oh, this will be better this time. Like same time, and that's us sometimes. We just keep going back to the same worm on the same hook time and time again. We need to get drastic and make big changes in our life or else we will be ruled by our temptations. There's There's a couple I know that she struggled with lust towards another guy. And I just, I'm just so proud of this couple. They don't come to this church, so don't try and guess people. Uh, I'm just so proud of them because um, she struggled with it in the place they used to live that he said, you know what? Instead of condemning her like a lot of spouses would, how dare you? How dare you? She's like honest with them and open with them. I'm really struggling with this. He said, what can we do? She said, can we move? Can we move and, and, just, and just work on our relationship? Because the temptation this person was in their church was just so much. They were deeply involved in their lives. Like they got drastic. And I'm not saying that's what everyone does when they struggle with temptation. But you got to make the decisions that are going to lead to change. Another thing you do is you determine in your mind that I am not going to go down this road. Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. There is a determination that you need to make in your mind. If you're going to be a, like, a, like a wonky Christian who just sort of cultural Christian, then you're not going to stand up. But if you determine in your mind, you know what? Regardless of what comes, I want to do what's right. 
because God says it's right. And I want to please my God above man, above other people. I want to please my God. Then you determine in your mind and you fill your heart with God's truth. What did Jesus do when he was tempted? Every time the devil tempted him, he spoke the words of God back to Satan. And that's why we need to be in our Bibles and speaking the truth into our minds so that when those temptations come, we can speak the truth against them. And third thing is you need to be honest with somebody you trust. I'm not saying get up in front of the church and tell them what you're tempted with. But you need to find someone that is trustworthy, that doesn't have a a loose mouth that will flap it all over the place. Somebody that has demonstrated they're trustworthy and say, I am tempted in these ways. And then they need permission in your, from you to speak the truth to you, to call you on those things when they see you're setting yourself up to sin. So it's not by trying harder that we overcome temptation. It's not by, by just gritting, gritting our teeth, but it's by acknowledging that we all struggle. It's by identifying where we do struggle and are tempted. It's by being honest with God, being honest with ourselves, and being honest with others by storing up God's truth in our lives. So that is the thing that comes to our minds when we are tempted to go down the road into sin. And I'm going to pray. And you know what? I'm going to be up here after, and um, Pastor Dustin is going to be up here after, and let's see, and Angela's going to be up here after, and if you feel, one, if you want to come and confidentially pray with one of us, then we are going to be here, and, and nobody should be watching for somebody to go up because you're all struggling, okay? So let's just support each other, and let's be honest with each other, and let's overcome this together. God, thank you so much that you are with us. And that although we struggle and are tempted, Lord, you will not allow us to be defeated if we don't allow ourselves to become defeated. Would you help us to be honest, to be truthful, uh, to be people who want to live by the way you tell us to live? Uh, Lord, would you give us the strength to fight against these temptations? Would you give us uh, the, the humbleness and the meekness to admit our own uh, temptations and our sins? Would you send along men and women who we can be honest with and confidential with that can pray with us and not judge us but hold us accountable? God, we, we see the way you've told us to overcome these temptations of the world and we want to be faithful to that. Would you help us for your glory so we can be a healthy church, so we can be healthy, uh, fulfilled, joyful Christians? In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for coming, and I'll see you later. And don't forget to come up for prayer if you need Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.